Welcome everyone to what will hopefully be the first in a series of media and digital podcasts from Herbert Smith Freehill's London Technology, Media and Telecommunications team. My name's Jeremy Purton and I'm joined today by Hayley Brady and James Balfour, uh, who will be talking to us about brands and influencers and some of the trends in this particular space. Uh, before we begin, I was um, we're recording this, I should say, on a, on a Friday morning, the morning after the BBC's Big Night In. And I was watching that last night and it, it sort of occurred to me as I was watching everyone put their uh, challenges together, sing songs or, or communicate, how easy it is for people to prepare and create and distribute content armed only with a smartphone. And I think that's quite an interesting uh, reflection on where we are today in the consumer market in general with influencers armed with a smartphone supported by brands going out there and connecting with consumers. And I guess that's that's kind of the first point that, that I wanted to make and, and put to Hayley and James. Why, why is it that influencer marketing is such a big deal at the moment? And um, Thanks, Jeremy. I, and I think you're absolutely right. We're, we're obviously seeing um, right now in the situation that we're in, actually, what you can really achieve um, with just a smartphone um, and a message to get out there. And and I think, you know, when I think about influencer marketing, one of the things that really comes to mind is just that it's kind of like word of mouth on speed in a way. Um, it, it really is a way of getting a message out there. And from a brand perspective, you've got influencers who've already done the hard work. They've built up a captive audience. Um, so actually, it's a really, really powerful way of getting your message out there. Um, and I think what one of the things we are seeing um, is that celebrities that really you know used to be and 10 years ago or even five years ago, celebrities are really the, the sort of tool used by brands um, to kind of front their campaigns. A lot of money was paid for that. And in, in the last few years, and certainly in the last 12 months, celebrities are becoming slightly less relevant. Um, and we are seeing a real rise in the micro-influencer space as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's... Yeah, it. I mean, for me, it's all about how kind of relatable the content is, um, which I think is is why influencers are, are really work in this, this, this day and age. Um, you know, you, you see people rising to to fame who are, who are essentially kind of often like teenagers in their in their living rooms um people like Alfie Days Gaz Oakley the kind of former chef turned kind of vegan influencer um and, and it's that kind of aspect of content that's maybe not so airbrushed but but is actually kind of a lot more kind of everyday and 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 people can kind of tune in and, and feel like they get to know these these people who aren't maybe the David Beckhams and you know the, the traditional celebrities um on a much more personal level yeah, absolutely. And I guess that, that really chimes with, uh, it's a buzzword, I think, these days, but this concept of authenticity and how important that is to to generating that relatability and, and conveying those messages. And so, yeah, that, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real upside, I guess, of influencer-based marketing, not to mention presumably uh, slightly lower overheads than retaining celebrities for, for the same services. Yeah, I think that's right. And and the other thing that I think is quite interesting that's certainly sort of slightly different in the influencer world to say in the kind of larger celebrity world um, and a, a trend that we've definitely noticed is 
the increase in the sort of longer term influencer relationships, as opposed to, say, contracting on a campaign by campaign basis. Um, and I think that's, you know, if I look at it, I think that's something that's likely to continue um, and increase as this world becomes bigger. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, um, the idea of, of short form content as well is, is, is something that's very much coming to the fore, particularly at the moment. The, this kind of TikTok episodic content of kind of people putting together, uh, you know, a, a five episode almost journal of their of their lives and, and that kind of really taking off as a, as a format. Yeah, it's, 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 it is very interesting, isn't it? And I, I want to move on to talking about some of the, the, the risks. I, I appreciate we're talking mostly about the opportunities now. But before I do, influencer marketing, is it confined to one particular consumer sector? Is it uh, more useful for certain types of, of sectors or markets? Or are you seeing it as something that almost all consumer-facing sectors are, are getting into in one way or another? Um, I think I, I think it's an interesting question because actually we sort of talk about the consumer sector and and actually influencer marketing being a big a big sort of tool used in consumer in the consumer sector and I think that's right and actually I think it's probably across all types of goods I think there's certain areas that have probably taken off slightly more than others and been a bit, bit more kind of faster in this area and um, I think the other point is actually on the B2B space, um, so where we're not talking about consumers, we're talking about selling to businesses, uh, influencer marketing has certainly been slower there. But actually, that is where we've seen a little bit more of a rise in trying to do what the consumer space has done so well in this area. And, and I think it's fundamentally relevant across all sectors in the sense that, you know, every company, whatever sector it operates in, needs to reach out to its customers and, um, you know... It, using influencers can be a way to do that if it's done if it's done correctly and that and that might be different depending on on the sector but but fundamentally i think it, it is a format that works for for all organizations cool um i i think you know sort of turning from from the the opportunity side of this to to some of the risks i know there's there's something of a patchwork of of regulatory instruments that that might interface with influencer marketing and so if you're a, a, a brand out there looking to to leverage influencer marketing what what are the sort of risks that need to be taken into account are there specific rules or guidelines that you need to be adhering to um yeah and you're right it is a bit of a patchwork and i think one of the reasons and we'll talk about a bit more about this i think one of the reasons why this has had an you know an increased sort of regulatory focus is the fact that um is social media marketing generally is sort of seen by a whole wide range of people, including minors. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, the ASA, you're talking from a UK perspective, the ASA, which is the um, Advertising Standards Agency, um, they regulate both broadcast and non-broadcast um, advertising. They have a, a large code, and I won't go into sort of all the different parts of that code. Um, but there are elements of the ASA's remit that fall into the influencer marketing space, um, which does mean, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the ways that you can avoid getting kind of in trouble with the ASA. Um, but it does mean that anyone, any brands and influencers themselves need to be alive to the ASA codes. And and I, I think to, to add to that, there's, there's a... Uh, the main focus that, that has generated a lot of articles and, and you know, you might have seen some, some things in the press about where influencers and companies have got this wrong is, is the point about, you know, identifying that 
a particular post is um, is an advert by using like hashtags, for example. Um, and that that is a very important point. So you know, making sure that it's clear that um, a particular post has been paid for um, by a particular company. Um, but the, the other point that is perhaps missed sometimes is that not only do you have to make it clear that um, you know the distinction between editorial and advertorial content, but you also need to comply with the host of other kind of rules and regulations that that sit in the in the codes that, that Hades just mentioned. So things like you know harm and offence. Um, not advertising, you know, products that might be unsuitable for children to children. Um, and obviously there's a whole, a whole raft of categories of regulated products. So, you know, alcohol, tobacco, those kind of things. Um, so it, it can often be the case that, you know, people think they've, uh, or influencers think they've, um, hit the mark by, you know, making, making sure they've used the right hashtag, but actually there's, there's a bit more. Uh, a bit more compliance involved, and obviously companies are, are equally responsible for, for making sure that their their influencer campaigns kind of um, are compliant with those rules. So, so there's a question I, I've got here, which is where 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 is the line between, say, someone making a, an editorial sort of comment like "I really enjoyed this particular experience or, or, or product," and and they're they're really just giving their own opinion. To the, to the point where they might be seen to be selling something to you or marketing to you. I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm 100% clear on, on how that fits together. Um, so I, I think the key um, in if you're in any way involved in the influencer social media posting world in sort of thinking about when do I fall within regulations and therefore need to think carefully about what I'm doing um, is... Uh, so a world in which there is a payment, and that includes a payment in kind. So often we find that influencers are given freebies um, or or it's part of sort of an overall arrangement, say like an ambassador arrangement. If there is in any way a payment and there's editorial control by someone who is not that influencer, then that falls, that particular post will fall within the ASA's remit. Um, and editorial control, I think, you know, James, it's fair to say that the ASA will look at that um, taking quite a wide approach. So, you know, if you've got a company who are inputting thing on things like the timing of the post or um, the number, you know, the number of of sort of posts that there are, etc., that will satisfy the editorial control. And um, the other area that falls into this uh, this space is where we've got affiliate marketing. Um, so, if there's say a payment for a click through, so if there's um, say a hyperlink or a discount code and the influencer gets any remuneration for you know per click through or something and um, interestingly if you've got payment but there isn't the editorial control um, element then effectively the ASA will look at that as more akin to a sponsorship deal um, and actually that doesn't fall within the ASA's regulation it does fall into other um, regulated remits um, so to me, the, the key thing is to think about whether you're a brand or an influencer, is there payment, is there editorial control, and do I in any way fall into the affiliate marketing space? That, that, that's that's really helpful. And, and again, I, I think it probably illustrates that there's a, a range of different bodies and, and rules which... Uh, I guess orbit some of these some of these issues. So no, that, that's that's really interesting. What what happens if something goes wrong here? What what can what can I guess the regulators do in the event, say a, a brand missteps and 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 breaches a particular rule or guideline? 
So there's there's quite a few different things that they can do, and and it, and it slightly depends on, I guess, how serious the breach is, whether it's a repeat um, offence. But very broadly, um, things that the Advertising Standards Authority can do, the ASA, um, they can kind of issue basically um, alerts, ad alerts, uh, or, or sort of um, notices on their website, which are sort of basically eff- effectively meant to act as a bit of a slap on the wrist, a bit of a naming and shaming kind of um, exercise for the um, the company and the influencers involved. Um, they can require mandatory pre-vetting. So, um, you know, a particular company might have to start submitting their um, proposed campaigns and ads to the ASA in advance for vetting prior to being released. Um, one of the one of the perhaps more um, serious um, things that they can do from a from a client or from a company perspective is um, the ASA can require that um, search results for particular um, ad campaigns are removed or particular advertised products, and obviously that has that has quite a clear direct um, commercial impact on on the companies and the marketers involved. So that's probably one of the um, slightly more serious things they can do. Um, so that that's what the ASA can do. There's then the um, Competition and Markets Authority and Trading Standards, who have slightly more enhanced um, powers. So, for example, they can um, they have criminal powers to prosecute for very serious cases. They have powers to investigate breaches, um, and something that they they have done recently, fairly recently, I think it was last year, um, is that they have um, required certain influencers to enter into undertakings to uh, to ensure that they comply with relevant kind of transparency rules um so i think there were there were a raft of influencers who signed up to um to these undertakings last year i think retora was one of them i can't remember can't remember who else off the top of my head but that's that's an example of the kind of thing they can do great no thank you that that's that, that's really helpful and i i guess just sort of pausing here for a second and, and stepping back a little bit this, this sort of uh, regulatory approach and and the sort of wider guidance and frameworks that that, that we're talking about here they they fall within a a much bigger category of I guess consumer facing regulation and it, it's one of those areas where I think we've seen quite a lot of scrutiny and media attention directed over the, over the past few years and and clearly as we all sit in our homes at the moment uh, on on lockdown sort of clicking away on social media and over the internet you know buying various things i i know my um my my front door has probably never been knocked on as many times as it as it has been right now um it, consumer consumer regulation and consumer protection as a whole is is something that that's really at the front front of people's minds at the moment yeah i mean i, I think that's absolutely right um in that we you know continue uh, as consumers to to sort of do more and more and more and more online um, so what we we have sort of coming in at a force from a European dire- uh, perspective is um, the Omnibus Directive. Um, so that's something that we won't go into today, but we've separately um, written about and we'll look to do a um, podcast on that as well. Um, but that's sort of one trend in where we're seeing kind of increased look at, particularly around the online space and um, sort of making sure that consumers are adequately protected. Great. Quick, so, quick. so I, I guess. Oh, sorry, James. You. you wanna... I was just going to say a quick, quick plug for our for our um, for our blog site, which is hsfnotes.com, which which has all of the uh, um, useful stuff that we've uh, that we've written on on those kind of things. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 do check it out. And as Haley said, we'll be 
uh, hopefully speaking to you all again uh, soon on the Omnibus Directive, which is certainly coming to a consumer near you. Um, just just before we wrap up, uh, my my sort of final thoughts on this or your final thoughts on this, if you had to give three top tips for any brands considering using influencer marketing, what would they be? Um, so the first one that I, I will mention, just because I don't think it's something that's quite widely appreciated, um, is the celebrity endorsement space. So one may think of a celebrity as someone who is, you know, worldwide known with millions and millions of followers. And the ASA actually looked at this um, last year. And this was in the context of an Instagram post by a blogger who had 30,000 followers, um, which, you know, for me, that seems absolutely massive. And I can tell you, I have nothing like that number of followers. But in the in the grand scheme of things, 30,000 followers is not that huge. Um, she had promoted a sleeping pill. Um, and anyway, in the context of the ASA ruling, um, the ASA actually challenged with the brand there, which was Sanofi, had used um, a celebrity to endorse a medicine. Um, there were various arguments sort of against this, but actually the ASA held that 30,000 followers meant that the blogger had the attention of a significant number of people and that actually that would be deemed as a celebrity for the purposes of the um CAT code, which is the relevant ASA code. So I guess the first tip is be aware if you're a brand and you're engaging an influencer, look at their number of followers. Um, if they are over 30,000 followers, you need to be careful around certain products. So medicines, for example, um, and uh, there are other regulated products, so things like alcohol, gambling, um, and products which could be deemed to be high in fat, salt and sugar. So that would be my first tip. Check the number of followers and make sure we're not contravening on the celebrity endorsement side. Um, in terms of in terms of other tips, probably from my perspective, um, the biggest one is kind of what I would describe as knowing your audience. So um, obviously with social media, any influencer post has the potential to go viral and be seen across a variety of different platforms by a whole raft of different audiences. Um, and it's really important to think about how a particular post might be perceived by different audiences beyond perhaps what you consider to be your target audience. Um, so clearly that, that really becomes important when, um, if, if your campaign includes anything that might be uh, potentially unsuitable for, for children or might might be considered harmful harmful or offensive to certain um audience members um so you know it's just it's just worth considering that and also i guess looking at the um the follower the subscribers of your particular influencer to understand i guess the demographics of 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 their following and 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 what you know what percentage of their following is are you know our potential risk i guess categories of of audiences and I think, um I, sorry Karen. Yeah, go on. I think the other the other point that I'd make, um, which I think you know, it come, should come out sort of in what you've already said, um, is the key here is that you, if you're engaged, if you're a brand and you're engaging an influencer, it need they need to be it needs to be very clear that their post is an advert. And um, there are various very men uh, and huge amounts actually of ASA rulings where people are just not clear enough on that on this. And even though there's lots of guidance out there, people are still not doing that. Yesterday there was a ruling by the ASA in relation to a an ASOS and um, Zoella post. And, and again, they said that it wasn't clear enough that it was an ad. Um, so people, I think, are, are still slightly reluctant to use the sort of hashtag ad at the beginning of a post. It is the 
still the sort of best way of avoiding um, getting into trouble with the ASA. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I think we might have time probably just for, for one, one, more, one more sort of pro tip from you guys and then, and then we'll probably draw this to a close. So uh, it's a sort of fastest finger first between Hayley and James as to who gets in with, with, with the next one. Well, I, I was just going to add actually that um, <laughs> um, that I, I think one of one of the perhaps more practical tips in this, and, and Haley alluded to it earlier when she was talking about payments, is that it's it's very useful and, and highly recommended to keep a record of um, who, what kind of commercial relationships you've had with with different influencers, because whilst you might think you have ended a, a commercial relationship with an influencer and then later on you know you might ask them to do a one-off post or something if there's a history of a commercial relationship that's something that the essay may well look at and you may end up kind of accidentally falling into the, the advertisement category um without kind of necessarily intending to so it's, it's worth just yeah having having up-to-date records of of who your influences are what commercial relationships you've had with them at various points um over time Great. No, thank you very much. And look, um, I think that's probably about all we have time for uh, in this particular podcast. But I mean, thank you, Hayley and James, both for uh, speaking about an area which I think is is both very interesting from a consumer's perspective, uh, certainly as someone who, you know, is, is interacting with different social media platforms and, and being a recipient or a target audience for some of this content, but also thinking of it with with my lawyer hat on and, and, and how this is affecting clients. You know, there there's clearly a lot of uh, opportunity out there for brands and influencers to, to really make a mark. But along with that, there, there needs to be a little bit of savvy with how to navigate the regulatory landscape and manage some of the downside risks. So again, thank, thank you both very much. Excellent. And, 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 and also, if you, if you are listening at home, I guess, or hopefully listening at home or on your, your daily allocated exercise run, um, yeah, if, you, if you'd like to find out a little bit more, you can always check out the Herbert Smith Freehills website, uh, hsf.com, our uh, blog site, hsfnotes.com, or you can check in on uh, Haley and James's individual profiles. Again, they're on, on the website, also on LinkedIn, or you can get in touch via email uh, conveniently and easily, Haley.brady at hsf.com and james.belfour at hsf.com. So thank you all again for listening. Uh, we'll hopefully be back with another podcast in the series, but until next time, that's goodbye from me. 